Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In this episode of Scale Your Sales podcast, I speak to author of the upcoming book, Buyer First, Carol Mahoney. In this episode, Carol quotes lots of research as to why she's written this book, why sellers still do not understand the mindset of the buyer and really miss the mark and how buyer behavior has changed. And as soon as we begin to tap into and understand what buyers really want to hear from their sales professionals, then we're going to continue to miss quota. Now, this book is geared at entrepreneurs and solo sellers along with sales team. Author of upcoming book, Buyer First. My next guest has been called the sales therapist by a Harvard Business School professor. And she coaches on sales for the Entrepreneurial MBA program. She's also the president of AAISP Boston chapter, but has been named as a top sales influencer by LinkedIn and Sales Hacker and voted a top sales coach by Ambition. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Carol Mahoney. Thank you so much for having me, Janice, and thank you everyone who's listening in. I am so excited about this conversation today. So am I, because one of the key things I talk about is customer centricity, buyer centricity, and I know that you know I've I've been uh, listening to a lot of your live streaming and discussions about ask you anything about buyer first, and I know that you've you've got a book that will be launching soon, or the audience can pre-order. So I'm really interested because we might be the first people to talk live about this upcoming book. So uh, yes. I'd love to know more about why buyer first why was that the subject that you wanted to lead with because I know you've got so much experience in sales and marketing so tell me about that so it actually stems from my own experience and my transformation in sales. Um, and, and, you know, the book is written for actually me 20 years ago. <laughs> when I first started my business, I had a marketing agency and I, let's just say it plainly, I hated sales. I disliked <laughs> the pushy, slimy, sleazy sales tactics. And I had convinced myself that I was going to make salespeople obsolete with inbound and internet marketing. Long story short, didn't work that way. Uh, we still need salespeople to help us to make decisions. And so I was kind of faced with the hard truth of, I either need to change the way that I approach and think about sales or close my doors and get that three letter word called a job. And so I decided that I would rather stick needles in my eyes than go get a job. And so therefore job, get over sales, getting over sales was the lesser of the two evils for me. And so I hired a sales coach to just 
you know, what is it that I'm doing wrong? I had read all of the books, done all of the hacks, the tips, the methodologies, the processes, and it just didn't seem to work for me the way it seemed to work for everyone else or purportedly for everyone else. And so when I started to confront my own thoughts and beliefs about what sales is and how we approach buyers, I started to see this transformational shift, not only in my sales and my business results, but even in the results with my relationships with my friends and my family and my children. And it kind of born this idea that selling isn't about us, right? It is not about something that we do to other people. It's actually a collaboration that we do with others. And a successful collaboration happens when we put other people first. And so for me, buyer first is making it not about us, but making it all about our buyers, not just in our actions, but in our intentions and in our attitudes. And it's why I wear this shirt that I made for all of my clients that says not about me and it's upside down so that the person wearing the shirt can be reminded of this fact. And it was something that I kept repeating to my clients over and over again when they would tell me about their demos and I would listen to their calls or they send messaging to me in their emails and I'm like, this is all about you and what you want and what you can do. And it has absolutely nothing to do with your buyers. So I decided to write buyer first and direct it for small business owners who are trying to figure out how to grow and scale their businesses, but don't like sales, as well as individual salespeople who are working from home a little bit more isolated, like business owners are, and having to face the reality that, you know, buyers are a certain percentage of their way through the buying process before they ever engage with a salesperson. And the fact that, you know, Gartner reports that like 33% of people today would rather not deal with a sales rep even though that same data shows that 23% higher purchase regret if they don't, we need to change the way that we approach and sell as individual and professional sellers as well and put our buyers first in all things. And in working with clients and working with entire teams, when they've adopted this mindset and put it into practice, the very results that they've all been striving to get of getting responses and qualified leads and not selling on price are the things that happen for them simply because of this shift in their focus and how they think about sales. So, and I wanted to write it first for them because if we wait for leadership to figure this out, well, if they could have figured it out, they would have done it already. So I'm putting the power in the hands of the people on the front lines of how we make this shift happen. When I speak to people that they think they're saying something from the buyer's perspective mm. and they don't quite get what we're hearing, that this is all about you. Mm -hmm. So how do you get people to listen to what they say and really hear the words to understand that it isn't a, the customer that's wanting that information. It's actually them that's wanting to give the customer information because they think this is what the customer needs to know. So how do you break that cycle? So one of the first things that I have people do is uh, I call it the wee wee factor. Uh, and it's something that I actually learned from a book called Waiting for Your Cat to Bark by Jeffrey and Ryan Eisenberg, which really was kind of the first book that I read about how people buy in the in the modes of behavior that they go into while online. And the wee wee factor is basically a calculation is that if you were going to go and to listen to your calls, for example, or or go and audit your marketing copy or email copy and count how many times you say me, we, I, 
ours versus you, theirs, that's because, and that means. The very language that we use is about us. I wanted to share this with you. I wanted to tell this with you. We do this. And we think it's from the buyer's standpoint because we're talking about their pain points, but all we're doing is reminding the buyer of this problem that they need to fix that you still have made it all about yourself. Um, and then the other thing I look at too is, is we think that by sharing our value propositions or talking about how products and features are going to solve people's problems or saying things like, I know as a CMO that you're really struggling with, you know, tracking your lead marketing from here to there, we're telling them things that they already know. But if we can actually share things with them that maybe they don't know or they hadn't fully considered and we can get them to think and we challenge their thinking, that is actually being buyer first because they don't want to hear that. They want to tell me something I am not thinking or I don't know, then you'll have my attention. Now I believe that you understand something more about my world than what your product does for me. Okay, so then the next question is, how do I find out something that the buyer doesn't already know without asking the buyer? So, and this seems like something obvious, I think, but if you're a salesperson and you're talking to literally dozens of, I'm going to use the CMO example again, dozens of CMOs every day about what's going on in their businesses and the things that have worked and the things that haven't worked and the impact of that. I don't know any other C-level executive who wouldn't want to know what dozens of their colleagues are also working on or also struggling with, and maybe some of the ways that they've gone about trying to solve these things and how that's worked out for them. They want that insider insight that they don't get because they're inside of their own four walls. I find that that's one of the easiest ways for you to be able to offer up some insights into what buyers maybe not fully considers is when you tell them about you know, these are the conversations that we're having with people who are struggling with understanding where their acquisition sort of metrics are coming from. And what they hadn't fully considered is that it's not always about attribution, but it's also about, you know, waterfall measurements. I'm making this up, um, sort of. And so by sharing those kinds of insights of like, you know, we had this customer who was struggling with the same thing. They hadn't fully realized that this was also the impact of that. And when they did X, Y, and Z, learned that this was the result, which is something they hadn't expected before. And then following that up with a question, you know, how are you seeing this playing out in your organization right now? And what are the steps that you've taken to try and change this particular dynamic? So um, B2B Decision Labs did a bunch of research on this, and what they found is that when people are offered some sort of a data point or an insight that they hadn't thought of or fully considered, then they're more willing and eager to answer whatever diagnostic or clarification question it is that you have after that, because they're like, oh, I didn't realize that. Or like my favorite words to hear is, you know what, I never thought of it that way, or I hadn't really fully, you know, realized that. Like that's when I know that we're being buyer first and we're really truly adding value to the conversation. Yeah. My favorite question is, oh, no one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm gonna have to think about that. I love it. I'm, you know, like when it's not an obvious answer to them and they're going to have to give it some thoughts. So they're thinking outside of their their box. And um, yeah, that's they're the questions that you absolutely love. Yeah. So tell me more. You, I know that you've done lots of research in the book and you've talked about it, it, elaborate questions. Yes. So tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? So elaboration questions. Um, First, there's some data from Gone that suggests, like we, we always hear in sales, you need to ask a ton of questions. But what the data suggests and the research also suggests is that your buyers don't wanna play 20 questions with you. They want you to have done your research so that you don't have to ask them 
forgive me for saying it, but just not very intelligent questions like tell me about your business and what you do. Like that's not a difficult thing for you to look on their website and figure out. But questions that are those thought provoking types of questions asking between 11 and 14 of those on a call is the ideal number according to Gong data. But elaboration questions. Now, these are the kinds of questions where you go deeper into something. So it requires active listening because what you have to do is react to something that someone said by asking this elaboration or clarification question. You know, most the most common way I hear this done is that someone says, you know, we're really struggling with identifying uh, where our lead attribution is coming from so that we can understand where we need to be investing our new marketing dollars in the next year based on what's worked before. And so an elaboration question might be, well, tell me more about how you are tracking that now and where you feel those gaps are. It's based off of what you just said, and it's asking them to elaborate or clarify further into that so that you as the salesperson can better understand the context of this, right? But here's the thing is that Stanford studies show or suggest that when people are asked those types of elaboration questions, is that it actually endorse, it creates dopamine in their brains and they enjoy answering those kinds of questions. And that by asking those kinds of questions, it also showed that it causes the person being asked the question to think differently about something, even if they have an opposing viewpoint to it. So not only do buyers enjoy asking these types of questions and it adds value to the conversation, but it is also the questions, these types of questions that empower you to be able to get them to think differently about how they're looking at something. I love this because conversation, it's lovely when in the conversation you're stretched by the other person because you can imagine buyers, it's like a lineup of sellers that are saying the same thing. What's yes. keeping me you awake at night? Oh God, I was like, Don't This conversation ever. and repeating it. That's yeah, what's keeping no, exactly. <laughs> the fear of having another conversation with you. That's what's keeping me awake at night. What a horrible, horrible question. Um yeah. But, you know, they get the same thing all the time, all the time. So uh, they love it. They uh, We all love it when we're in a conversation where we're really having to work a lot harder. And, mm-hmm. and that's really what you want. So I absolutely love what you what you were saying. So tell me more about the kind of neuroscience of buying, how all of that works, really. So as far as making decisions, um, there's actually some new research that is uh, coming out that talks about, you know, we all hear about how so many deals are lost to no decision. Um, And so there's some new research that's coming out and it's talking about not only is it that people aren't willing to make a decision, but we also need to be able to understand if they're capable of making that decision. Do they have the information? Do they have the resources? Do they have the willingness to make that decision? Because we all have that adversity to change. And when you make a decision, you're enacting a change to happen, but you're also taking on that risk, right? So there's a certain level of risk aversion in making those decisions. And so our job as sellers is really to help buyers manage change and to make decisions that they're comfortable and confident with. Um, and so we need to be able to do understand what is real risk to them. Um, and also with that, what is not just the risk, but what is the aversion to that? Like, what is the other side? What is the, the goal that we're trying to get to? And what is the risk that we're trying to avoid? 
Um, and I also find that the research is telling us that when we're trying to make these decisions, that we're looking at quantifiable impacts. We're looking for, you know, things like social proof and those things. But for, for buyers to really be comfortable making decisions, they have to be able to have a quantifiable impact and they have to be able to clearly understand why this is something that they need to do, why it's something that they need to do now, and why it's something that they need to spend the money on versus do it themselves. And that with that, we need to be able to tie the issues and the impacts to the capabilities and the solutions that we have, which ironically is one of the things that salespeople struggle with the most. How do I tie what's going on in their business with the solutions that we provide? Um, and I think a lot of times that the reason they struggle with it is because they're so focused on what they do. They have their checklist and these are the features that we have and these are the benefits that we have instead of having that collaborative conversation with buyers. Um, Here's the thing behind that is that there's a study done by Harvard called the IKEA effect. And what it basically states is that the more effort that we put into something, the more value we place on it. And so when we're thinking about how to help buyers make decisions, we need to collaborate with them on what those solutions look like and how it relates to them, because now they have some ownership in this, right? It's not like a this is the perfect thing right here. Everybody's doing this thing. You buy this thing and everything's going to be great. They don't believe it because my situation is unique, my business is unique, my issues are unique, and so your standard cookie cutter solution isn't gonna work for me. I wanna have a say in customizing that to feel comfortable that it's gonna actually solve it for me. So there's a lot of different moving parts to understanding how buyers buy, but there are still some basic rules that we can follow. And I think one of the things that we need to also consider is that buying is not a linear process. It's not a funnel process. There's like, have you ever watched a human being in a grocery store try to make a decision? We don't buy in a linear fashion. We don't go up one aisle, we go, we're all over the place. It's more like this complicated maze that we're trying to navigate through with our buyers. But like with any maze that happens, mazes have rules. And there are buyer engagement rules that I write about in Buyer First. And the first one is make it not about yourself. Uh, the other one is making sure that you have customized content that you're delivering to add that insight, maybe that thing that they hadn't realized before. Um, the other thing is to be able to ask those clarification and elaboration questions and keep those to a minimum. One of the other things, too, that I find that drives me insane is that buyers will get a for uh, sorry, sellers will get a buyer that comes to them and they'll have them fill out some form like what do you want to talk about in our meeting? And it'll say, I wanna learn about ABC features and pricing for those. And so sellers will get into the conversations. They'll start to set this upfront contract that says, look, I know that you said you wanted to talk about these features and pricing, but before we do that, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna ask you all of these discovery questions, even though you've probably already gone through this. And then we're gonna make you go through this next demo phase. And like, they're not meeting them where they are. Like if they wanna know about these features, that means they've already done a whole bunch of research. Yeah. Find out how they got there, find out why that's important and meet them where they are. Don't force them to go through your stuff in your way. Um, Mark Roberge, who's the Harvard professor who teaches at the MBA program there, uh, one of the things that he said is that traditional sales processes are designed from the inside out, right? Like mm -hmm. this, the steps that we need to go through, but to the virtual, the new sales process is one that's designed from the outside in, where we've taken into account where our buyer is and what do they need at those particular stages in order for them to feel confident moving forward and bringing other people in. So. 
Yes, I have a lot of thoughts and research on this. Um, and, and the challenge is, I think for a lot of people is how do we take all of this information and apply it to our day to day and the conversations that we have. And so really it's just picking one small piece at a time that you can start to build a new habit around. One thing that I often say to um, sales leaders is to not get stuck on the process. Because mm. the problem is when we have a process, we want to follow it. And buyers are at different stages of the process. So, And they may, as you say, when you're shopping, you don't go linear down one aisle and back up the other. So actually, rather than have, if you didn't have a process, if you had a blank sheet of paper and you established what are the outcomes that the, the buyer wanted, the customer wanted, mm -hmm. and then with the customers, you say in partnership with the customer, you work backwards from there. You know, yeah. what is the information? How do we need to reduce the risk? What, what um, impact do we need to demonstrate in order? So you're working backwards from the result that you actually want. And then it may be the risk is that your product may not be ideal. It yes. may not be ideal. The problem is when you start from the product and you work down, you're shoehorning everything to make it fit. Right. If your product is not ideal, the fact that you can help them scope out what is ideal, your buyer will always come back to you. You are the trusted advisor. And so the next time when it is ideal, there's a huge process you do not have to go because you've already got the trust. You've already got the light. And even if they know that this is what I've found, even if they know that you're not necessarily in the market, they trust you well enough to recommend other people. So yes. from the whole kind of you become a real sense of influence in their world. And that's ideal. So yes. I believe that a seller's job is to build that trust, to build that relationship so that they have the ability to start with a blank sheet and work backwards in collaboration, skin in the game, value it more, just as you've said, in collaboration um, with the buyers. So I absolutely love what you you have to say. It's very much aligned to what I talk about um, as, as well. So learning from your vast experience, what would you say is the relationship of experience in the sales process, in the buying process? How important is it the experience that you del you give the buyer? of the process that you go through as far as the, like how experienced the salesperson is no the experience that you deliver so the customer experience the buyer experience how important is that in yeah. this process of selling and buying it is the most important part of the process. I often say to people, the close starts the moment you open your mouth and say hello. But the reality is it actually starts well before that now because buyers are going online, they're learning more about you. And so that experience starts from the very first interaction they have with your company, your brand, your social media, all of it. And then it's really accumulated in the conversation that they then have with your salespeople. Um, and so it's does the experience that they have online align with the experience that they have in the conversation. And that is what's going to dictate everything else that happens after that, right? Like, inst we make our first impressions. And those are the things that stick with us. And it's no different for buyers. 
Um, and so how we are able to establish that first impression within milliseconds, both online and when we do that first conversation, that first email with them is critical to the rest of the process. Um, uh, Mark Robersh worked at HubSpot as the CRO, and they at one point had an issue with customer churn. Now, with like most organizations, when they have an issue with churn, they think, well, it must have something to do with customer service, right? Like it's it's the handoff somewhere after they've become a customer. But when he did this whole statistical and regression analysis, what he found is that it was actually uh, the churn could be tied to specific salespeople in the way that they were selling. And that was what was the indicator that that person was going to be likely to churn later on. Um, you know, you can look at also there's data about um, the, when you it's when you give a discount to a customer or a buyer in order to incentivize them to buy, it increases X, X fold their likelihood of actually churning because of the experience that that creates. It's not based in value. It's based in a commodity of price. And so the buying experience and there's, you know, other data from comes out from Gartner and Forrester and how important the buying experience is in customer retention and experience later on. Um, because you're setting that expectation, you're anchoring that expectation in those first interactions, and that is where everything else is going to be judged of the, on thereafter. And it is a very difficult, very upward hill motion for you to try to change that after it's already happened. Um, and, and, you know, to your point earlier, when we're willing to say no to our buyers and push back, that's what actually helps us to establish trust. Um, I actually just last week had a, a client of mine who I worked with for a little while and who I had to challenge in some very big ways and say no to. And, you know, we ended up parting ways and I saw him again last week and he and his words to me were, you know, you were right. I'm so glad that you had challenged me before you have my complete trust because of that experience that we had both in the buying process and the customer experience later, he was coming back to me going, you know, this, this is why I trust you because you were able to push back because of the experience that I had. So it, I can't emphasize enough how important buying experience is. The sad truth though of it is, is that you go on LinkedIn and you look up customer experience and customer retention, and there's millions of people following those hashtags. Hashtags for buyer experience are less than a hundred. Yeah. Like, there's a dynamic here that's like, we're wondering why we're having such difficulty retaining customers and salespeople. And we're not realizing that it's starting all the way in the buying experience. And we're so focused on our numbers and the things that we need to hit and the questions and the, you know, the, the check marks that we need to go off of. We're not even seeing the, the huge chasm in front of us that we're about to step into. And that's, that's both an opportunity, but it's also, if you, if you don't see it and you fall into it, you have no idea why it happened. Yeah. Yeah. You build, you start the experience at the buying the process and the buyer will, um, uh, it denotes what they believe is going to be the experience as a customer going forward. So mm. if you do not get that right, they're in, they're going to churn. They're not likely to to. So it, you're absolutely right. That's why I talk about buyer experience. It is more important than customer experience because otherwise they won't become the customer or they won't remain as as a customer. And that, yeah. that's why salespeople that have no idea of buyer experience and how important it is that it trumps price and product. But can you imagine not knowing that? And you're all focused on price and product and missing out on the most important reason why people buy and mm -hmm. stay. So I fantastic. I need to talk to you about diversity. 
and and in relation to buyer first because we know that um buyers value diversity they're now beginning to ask for it in the rfp documents then look at the alignment of the sales organization with their own organization this is becoming more prevalent but if we look at the sales op uh, operations and organizations and how they're doing on diversity and both of us as women in sales probably have very strong views about this so i'd like to ask you more about your experience and your views when we're talking about being buyer first, and we're talking about, if you think of it from this standpoint, that buyers value the ability to add new insights that they hadn't considered for, to challenge their thinking of how they're looking at their problems and the impacts of that. If we're using, or I shouldn't say using, if we have the same types of voices repeating the same types of things, what hope do you have of adding that value? Is, is diversity means having a different range of perspectives to input onto a problem. That's where true innovation is going to come from and buyers are demanding that of salespeople and if you have you know the same look and feel <laughs> to everyone on your sales team right then it's going to be very difficult for you to come up with those diverse thoughts and ways of thinking and looking at a problem because it's just an echo chamber and and buyers are like yeah been there done that got the t-shirt got the shot glass i don't need to hear it anymore tell me something new tell me something different tell me a way that i can think about this differently and when you have diverse sales teams and sales leadership teams and management and executive teams it brings that diverse thought that then adds value to the buyer in the conversation like if you think about everything that you're doing in top level management that is what your sales team is watching and that is the example that they're going to set with their buyer and that is, I think, the thing, the critical part of diversity that I don't know that people fully realize is that everything that your sellers see is being mirrored back to the conversations that they're having with their buyers. And for the very, for, for the love of diversity and all things that need to be true, having more diverse teams is not only good for you as an organization to innovate, but it is good to add the value to your buyers in those conversations. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, Buyer First, I know this is a book that you have written with a view that companies will share it within their team. So tell me more about in the way you've written it and how that, that works. So I've written it from the standpoint of of first thinking of salespeople even as individual business owners right like 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 a business owner uh, the old phrase you eat what you kill like you don't eat if you don't sell applies to salespeople and then you add into the the fact that as business owners you know we deal with the isolation from working from home um and having to do a lot of things ourselves and that is a lot of times what a lot of sellers are finding themselves in now as well and so the book is written um, from the standpoint of if you're a business owner or an individual seller, what are the mindsets that are going to get in your way of being able to be buyer first, of actively listening, of asking good thought provoking questions, of making it all about them and not all about you? There are actually six different mindsets that I evaluate when I'm working with salespeople and business owners as to what might be the things that are going to get in your way of doing the things that you know you should do and can do. But when you get in that moment, you just seem to chicken out or don't quite do, and then you think to yourself afterwards, why didn't I do that thing that I knew I should have done? Um, so we talk about the mindsets that get in the way because really being a good salesperson and being a good business owner requires you to be a good person. So the more that you focus on becoming a better person, the more you're going to be a better salesperson. 
Um, and so we talk about the mindsets and the daily habits and behaviors and how we change our own behaviors to start changing our own mindsets. And then coupling that with some of the research that we just talked about, about how do buyers make decisions? What are the things that they value? And then how do we need to approach them? How do we need to do the research about them and engage in those initial conversations in a way that is collaborative, that adds value, that we can customize our message to help them to make the right decisions and change their own behaviors. So it is, you know, a, a lot of some of my own stories of how I failed and tripped as, as a business owner and as a seller, you know, I use the metaphors and analogies of, of behavioral change. And like, like in the, during the pandemic, I lost over a hundred pounds, which was a huge change for me. But also what I found is that the same re research and behaviors that I needed to do that are the same research and behaviors that sellers need to change their mindsets and how they sell. So I kind of draw this analogy because this is something we can all relate to that is in our everyday lives. And and really my, my goal for this book is for people to be able to walk away with understanding what is the mindset that's getting in my way and how can I start establishing some daily habits to change those mindsets? And then how can I start to, in even small ways, start to change the way that I engage with my buyers and build these habits over time? So that by the end of the book, you have established some habits, you've established some practices and ideally, hopefully gotten a new customer and client at the end. Excellent, excellent. So I know the book is available for pre-order and what we'll do is we'll put the links in the, the show notes when um, this is launched. So thank you so much and thank you for talking to us about Buyer First. This is certainly a subject that um, we really need more conversation on because sellers aren't quite getting it yet, are they? Yeah. So, Thank you for, for being that torchbearer and being a guest on Scale Yourselves podcast, Carol. Thank you so much for having me and, and letting me get on my soapbox. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things to do in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Yourselves podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.